1: In a world where very few people embrace their global identity and seek to understand their neighbors, cross-cultural expert Tayo Roxon is on a mission to bridge this divide. Each week, he'll open your mind with insights from some of the global minds in the world. Get ready, take some notes, and learn how to be the best you that you can be. Welcome everybody to another episode of As Told by Nomads and today is a very special episode. I feel like it's, its I always say this, it's one that I'm learning a lot. But today we are talking about what it's like to be a woman in the 21st century. And I've got two amazing ladies to talk about that. The first one is a, I guess, fourth timer now. So that's, that's Lena, basically mine. And I also have the lovely Ann Kelly um, joining us and now and she's going to talk more about herself but she's the youngest agent in the Pacific Northwest she's a an adventurer she's a traveler she she's she's a champion for diversity and inclusion and a all around great uh, lady and, and and you know uh Lena as well as, as someone who who champions global policies but also unashamedly herself as she conquers and dominates the the martial arts world as well as the 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 policy world so welcome to the show ladies
2: thanks for having us
1: so I'll just get right to it. What does it feel like to be a woman uh in in, in your words in the 21st century? And I'll start with you, end.
0: Okay. I would say hmm, it's it's interesting because in some in some in specific environments it doesn't necessarily change your perception. You don't feel treated differently from a man or from older parties in any way. However, that said, you're, you're definitely acutely aware as you're coming into a professional setting and environment, you automatically look, okay, are there, are there other women who are around my age, are there other people here who support me in this? And sometimes it can feel a little bit challenging, sometimes it's a little bit isolating, but at the same time, it's really empowering, especially in our century, um, because we know that we're not the only ones. We have other role models we can look to. We have
1: uh, resources that we can
0: find. And that didn't necessarily exist even a few
1: generations before ours. Absolutely, absolutely. And would you agree with that, uh, Alina?
2: I, yeah, I definitely think that, uh, you know, growing up, I did look around and kind of see, hmm, are there any... Girls or women, I guess, young women around me, but I, I don't think that was as central to my experience of being a young professional. Um, I really I, I formed very strong relationships with mostly men, even in, in the earlier parts of my career, um, and there were some women, but it's just you know it's probability there are. You know more men uh, at higher executive levels and so that's just who I was in touch with and that was normal to me because they I never felt like I was treated any differently and uh, so I just think that going through the ranks eventually I did start to notice um, as as I got older that I was kind of being the youngest one around and the only female around but to me I, I don't see that it really affected me as much.
1: Hmm. And and uh, you both both of you have touched on the youngest and only female and you are both the youngest in a lot of your fields. <laughs> <laughs> youngest agent uh in Pacific Northwest and, and you Lena you've been youngest in in several of the government possessions uh positions you've had. I'm curious about the uh the stigmatism that comes with that. Is there a, there seems to be a paradox of overachievement. Uh, how would you say ageism, I don't know if it's ageism, or being the youngest has affected you know, that dynamic in the workplace.
2: Who you and do be? you want to start? Ladies, yeah.
0: ladies first! <laughs> okay. Uh, it, it definitely differs per industry. As Lena was, uh, was referencing, I don't necessarily have the same domain experience in policy or in government, federal, state, international level. However, um, I can say in entertainment, the, it's It's something that's a little bit more champion. It's become more um, in demand, if you could say that, to be ethnically ambiguous or to be female. Um, So there's more support there. It's definitely getting more public attention. In technology, which is another sector that I've worked in, you definitely feel it in the sense that, again, as you get higher ranking, there tends to be fewer women. There tends to be – there is definitely ethnic diversity, but in some specific companies it can be less diverse than others. I know they're working towards that, but you also have to navigate uh, the expectation, right? So you always want to set the bar high, specifically if you are the youngest, you do want to try really hard. If you're a woman, it doesn't necessarily drive you to be better than everybody else, but you absolutely want to make sure you're competent, you're on top of your game. So proving yourself definitely becomes an element, but I see that as a positive because you're driving to become the best version of yourself, to produce the best work to maintain a really high integrity bar, a really high quality bar. Um, so while those are inputs that you definitely have to deal with on a day-to-day basis, it's good because it if you use it in the right way, it can push you instead of inhibit you or make you
1: anxious. It's so funny. So I'm, I'm listening to you and you, you, know, you talked about your domain expertise there at Hollywood um, and some in tech. Mm-hmm. I was reading an article yesterday. that talked about the hypocrisy of diversity in Hollywood, which basically states that all the actors and actresses will come on stage during, um, you know, award shows and and speak about the sexism and, and and racism. Sometimes do go on in the industry, but then if you look at the report, uh, overwhelming majority of the directors are males. Overwhelming uh, majority of the voters are males, and they tend to be white. And I'm, I I don't know, <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I'm I'm so curious because. Yes, this year we had Moonlight and we had a bunch of all these um, diverse movies all of a sudden getting nominated, but why is the, why is it that behind the scenes you don't have as many female directors, you don't have as many people from the Asian uh, backgrounds, and then the stories that are being told seem to further eccentric certain stereotypes. So I don't understand the juxtaposition where, like, oh, we're going to call out the president and all that, but behind the scenes, they're still acting like the rest of the country.
0: Exactly. So... I definitely agree with what you're saying in the sense that there is the the espoused belief that they really believe in diversity or that um, Hollywood as itself is trying to change on a on a macro level. And that is true. They definitely are working towards it. However, there is much more that we can do because you're right. There aren't enough films where there're ethnically diverse cast. There aren't enough films where they're naturally born cast. For example, We have films coming out this year where it's a primarily Asian character. Well, the cast is absolutely not Asian. That's not to say that that's a good or a bad thing. It's to say that that is the choice that the production in the studio house has made. And if there's more scrutiny on it, if they start to see a public demanding, okay, we want you to be authentic to the nationality, the ethnicity, um, then that is something that will change because the most empowering thing to realize um, whether you're a consumer a customer or an observer is that in mass we can really change anything and even on the Pacific Northwest I've seen that happen when I started modeling I was around fourteen 15 years old I was the mixed girl I was like half Filipina half white I didn't quite fit any type cast and um, there wasn't nearly as much of a demand for ethnically ambiguous talent or Asian talent and that is something that resulted in a lot of um, those of us who were mixed wondering, okay, where do we fit into the spectrum? Do we have to look more at one ethnicity than the other? And that you mentioned um, Asian cast members. they are actually, if I believe correctly, fewer Asian um, actors and models featured in primary productions than any other ethnicity. True. So that absolutely needs to change. And what will make it change is people voicing it and talking about it like we're doing right here
1: yeah yeah um no I'm, i was just curious about that because that's just a, an interesting juxtaposition because you can see Meryl's trip on stage saying something <laughs> um and i, I love Meryl, I but and then you know behind him, am like well the directors are not they don't even look like what you were trying to champion but um all right w- what about you lena in the workplace w- we've had conversations on and off air about you not being the typical i guess um the typical expectation of what your coworkers expect a woman should be, and I wonder what you mean—what sure. you mean by that when you say that.
2: Well, I think that every everyone really has their own personal understandings and, and expectations of social and cultural norms, which you know then it does go into the workplace um, on how they see different people they work with and interact with, but. Um, the way I see it is a lot of the people that I've worked with that have been really inspiring to me and that have really stayed throughout my life and throughout my early career are, are those people that really see a vision in, in what I see or at the very least um, – see a little bit of themselves in me. And I've had that conversation with um, mentors and uh, personal friends and work friends, and they all say the same thing. It all starts when they see a certain drive and when they see a certain vision that um, they either saw in themselves when they were younger or that they can just appreciate. And I think that that's something that I'm very much grateful for, because I don't know that I would be where I am today if I didn't have people like that in my life. Um, But it's also something that I think is important to develop in young people that, you know, it's okay to have a vision and it's okay to have a drive just because, you know, you're young and you're just getting started. That doesn't mean that you can't, you know, be a visionary and see what you want into the future, even if that's not exactly who you are right now.
1: Hmm. Hmm. And if I'm gathering what you're saying it's, it's very, you have to have that vision Also, it's not it's okay to have a mentor And then you and Anne, you were talking about the importance of sharing your story So one of the ways, I guess, to get over that stigmacy and being young Is just to believe that it's okay to just be that young But, you know, it's okay to also have a guide I have a question, though Have you been underestimated at work? Uh, I'll start off with you, Alina, and then I'll go to Anne
2: I think that's always been a factor in any workplace uh i don't know that i can completely credit that to it just being me of being young and female i think just coming into a workplace um as someone that's a newbie or someone that's you know temporary because a lot of these places i worked for just a period of a few months people just don't expect as much of you because i i guess they don't see a reason why you would put in the effort when um you know, they don't have expectations set for you. So sometimes you just have to kind of set expectations for yourself and then allow them to see that too. So as far as being underestimated, I've definitely had times where I feel like the people around me just didn't interact with me as much as in, um, you know, prodded me or pushed me to do more. But that was really never an issue because I'm always one to take initiative and I was very quickly able to change that perception of myself in the workplace and very much get ahead. So I think that that's uh, definitely an opportunity, but also a challenge.
1: Yeah. All right. And you, uh, and have you been uh, underestimated in any way?
2: Yeah, there have definitely uh,
0: been scenarios where, again, I can't necessarily attribute it to gender or to specific age. However, I would have to think intuitively that's a factor. Um Operating in, I'll give you an example in, in the Northwest in terms of casting and productions. I was once um, told by a casting director that they would not work with anybody below the age of around 30. Huh. And, uh, yes. And um, in terms of talent in Hollywood and in, uh, in entertainment, the talent tends to be very young. Of course, you have models, you have actors that are literally starting out as babies and working on a. But in terms of the agent world and casting world and production world, the parties can be older. Um, And that's 100% fine. However, um, there is a bit of residual prejudice on occasion where you do hear things like that. Oh, we won't work with somebody below this age. Uh, That casting director is too young. We think she's inexperienced, even though there is absolutely no basis for that. And I think in those moments at at the time, casting had no idea how old I was. Um, I had started volunteering, um, with different affiliations, pushing for filming incentives since I was around 17 years old, but I never really talked about it. I never brought up my age. I'd never seen it as a factor. and I never wanted anyone to view my personal accomplishments directly as a result of my age. I don't think anyone does. Um, And you, you mentioned being underestimated in that capacity. And being underestimated can be a powerful thing because then you can really start to craft your own story from the bottom up. People don't have this necessarily preconceived notion of the box you're supposed to fit in, of the capabilities you're automatically supposed to have. You can change that. You can really write your own story. And having the curiosity and the drive and the discipline to do that is really all that it takes. Um, So working in in tech, it can very much be the same thing. I was um, one of the youngest producers or associate producers on a project for Microsoft HoloLens, And it was very slim at the time because everyone, even the team I had worked under and for, um, had assumed I was in my mid to late 20s or early 30s. And that wasn't the case. And often once they find out, oh, hey, you are X age, I was 20 at the time, they're shocked. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that's something – honestly, looking back, you really have to own your age. The the most important thing, if I could go back in time and have told myself in those moments, is that do not be ashamed of your age. Don't feel as if it's something to hide because the more of us that start working towards things, the more of us start accomplishing things um, as really young professionals, the more ubiquitous that will become. And while some people may view it as um, as a negative, thinking that okay, you might have more to prove or you might be less disciplined, many, again, as Lena referenced, will start to come to you and see themselves in you when they were younger. Yeah. They'll want to mentor you. They'll reach out.
1: Yeah, I, I think it goes to the element of um, you know using your difference to make a difference. I, I have no idea who made that up, but um, <laughs> it's, it's the whole idea of not being ashamed of, of who you are and, and using that to actually make an impact. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I, I love the way both of you are being unashamed about that. I, I, uh, the next question I have is a little deeper, right? So, um, boy, I'm sure both of you heard by now, the Uber X employee, uh, female employee that was, um, that basically talked about the, the on, on, Investigated sexual harassment and and uh, claims that happened uh, there at Uber and Uber's had an interesting year overall with diversity and inclusion from yeah. from the uh, the the Trump into this uh, I hear that a lot that that a lot of in harassment claims or you know unwanted comments get you know made in the workplace but they often get dismissed quickly as just you're just being a girl just suck up uh, this is what locker room culture whatever I don't know if you all have experienced this. But if someone keeps complaining and no one does anything about that, I just wonder how that actually has any potential for progress. And I I guess I'll start with you, uh, Lino, on this. I don't know if you've experienced this or if you've had stories, but what would you say is the best way to combat that?
2: I think that, uh, and obviously, you know, this is a very blanket statement, and I'm sure that there are times where there is unwanted harassment that's just unpreventable. It's uh, coming from the person that is inciting it, and it has nothing to do with you and everything to do with them. However, uh, I feel that it's all about the way you present yourself and it's all about the way you carry yourself. And when you walk into a room and you have a purpose and you have something to say and you're confident and you know that you're there for a reason, then people have less of a reason to think that they can look at you differently, to think that they can incite things that are not appropriate for the workplace um, I thankfully, I really haven't had any, any kinds of crazy stories of, of being uh, you know sexually harassed or in any way intimidated in that sense. But again, I would just say that my opinion would be that it's just if you bring yourself to the table as someone that is part of the team and integrated into the workplace and uh, you know has something to say, then really people treat you as an equal, as a professional, as someone that they're working with. And and then you're able to kind of prevent it before it even happens.
1: But what about those instances when even before you've come, so a lady walks into the room and it's all men and they're like, they're starting to whistle before you even said anything. So that's not even a matter of how you present yourself. It's just like the fact that you're a lady. And, um, you know, I have friends that are, I guess, naturally, I'm going to say <laughs> curvy, I guess. So it's not like they're trying to show anything but they just walk in and then all of a sudden it's disrespect that doesn't that just all of a sudden take on a different um air i guess it's it's a little different than where someone is just already prejudged you and expected you'd be like some object
0: um there definitely aren't scenarios like that tayo wherein you you have done absolutely everything that you can you're prepared you're disciplined. You have a purpose. You walk into the room. And there is a pre-existing environment. And I think this is a little bit more true even of women who have come before us that have been the first at what they do. You can listen to Oprah. You can listen to Sheryl Sandberg who have all described instances like this. I've sat in um, meetings for diversity in women at large tech companies here in the Northwest where I've heard actually a bunch of women get together who are relatively senior up in the company and describe instances exactly like this. And the first thing is that, one, um, you are the only person who determines what you will tolerate. You really are. Mm. Um, I understand that in some scenarios, of course, an intimidation factor can come into play if you're younger or if you don't want to lose your job. But those are things that you have to take into account with, again, what are you going to tolerate? Um Really, the best thing is to know your resources and know your options. And if you're absolutely uncomfortable, there is no reason that you have to stay. Um, Companies now have HR departments that are absolutely dedicated to this. Um, They have mentors. They have supervisors whose jobs are to protect them from these kinds of environments. But if you talk to any woman in tech, of course, most of them will be able to tell you that, yes, an instance or two has occurred where they have felt uncomfortable. Or they have received attention that was unsolicited or unwarranted. Yeah. Um, the biggest thing is if it keeps going. <clears throat> so um, I think reaching out to your resources is like a really important step, no, I, and being afraid to speak out.
1: That's, that's interesting because this is obviously something I would never be able to um, to uh, um, you know to even imagine, and that's why you know I I try to be you know to ask any woman this as much, and that that's why the uber case is so interesting because what mm. they investigate is the fact that the hr did nothing which is the fact that, yeah. that that that's that's the whole point so i yeah i guess yeah my question i was just curious about what happens then and I, and she did leave so you know i think that yeah. then becomes a you know it, can you take that yeah
0: in, in that case, when it's and so encapsulated. And if you're going to people, at least this is my belief, who truly aren't helping, then one, you have to remove yourself from the situation and then determine the best course of action for yourself. It is those companies' jobs, those departments' jobs to protect you. And if they're not doing it then what we're seeing is an unfortunate, but I think necessary part of the process where now they're forced to have to deal with it. Yeah. Not saying it's the best way, but if we don't talk about it, if it doesn't raise awareness, it will keep happening.
1: Yeah, yeah. So talking about it, um, and I guess as it comes a point where principle happens. I, there's a story, I'll share a story before I go into the next uh, topic here. I was walking down, it was a Halloween in the street, and I don't know if you've ever seen a video of a lady who's just walking down the street in New York and she's... Um, capturing all the time she was catcalled and it,
0: oh i guess i have
1: yeah yeah i don't know if, you, if you've both seen that but it, it 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 just actually changed the way i perceived everything related to this uh, topic before because i had no idea because that's like in every almost every block she kept getting that and i can't imagine what happens if you do that every moment so during this halloween time i was just walking back home uh people love celebrating halloween here and it's the day after my birthday so i figured i'll just walk and see what happens and <laughs> Like a couple streets down the the road for me, it was just a lady walking by herself, and all of a sudden, two guys started saying, "Mommy, come over here, mamacita," you know, all your stuff like that. And I, I I just decided, to say, hey, you know, she's with me. And then the guy and the two guys just looked at me and said, "Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't I didn't realize. I didn't realize. I'm you know I'm sorry about that." But they went they switched from being this cackle personality <laughs> to to all of a sudden being this. Um, apologetic person and I've always I've always wondered how that affects women when you can see the killer immaturity from a guy who is just all of a sudden assumes that you're a piece of meat because you're a woman and you're it's late at night and you're in a dress and it's Halloween so they feel like they have this territorial approach over, over you and I've never known how to respond to that except you know be the guy that stops that but as a woman I don't know does that mentally take a toll on you? uh well <laughs> any, anyone <laughs> lena <laughs> or, or.
2: i think i think it's something that uh you know you always have to take into account you know where will i be um what are my surroundings am i gonna go with a friend am i gonna be alone and you do you know subconsciously maybe take into account what you're gonna wear um and how you're gonna be dressed and you know those kinds of you know details but i i don't think that that's necessarily you know any different from thinking about just planning ahead you know and that's maybe that sounds terrible to say but i think that regardless you know obviously it's not right to have to you know feel uncomfortable walking down the street but if if you foresee that happening and you can avoid it um that's not really addressing the root cultural issue and the social stigma with it but um i i find that that's what i do and i think that that's what a lot of uh, young women do as well
1: and
0: in terms of um, what is addressing, she's absolutely right. that You have to take count of your environment. You have to take count of, okay, what am I wearing? Am I going to be safe? Am I going to feel uncomfortable? The more that you can precast that, the more that you can reconcile your own location, surroundings, and work around where you would know you'd be safe or comfortable, obviously that's option number one, greatest thing. Um, however, if you find yourself in a scenario where you have to get to this location or you're just en route to work and this happens... I don't necessarily see it as taking a toll on my psychology because perhaps we're jaded to it. Perhaps we've seen it so much. Yeah. And that that's not to say that's a good thing. I'm definitely not saying it's a barred-up hold. I'm saying as we've become um, almost used to it to the point where we're almost immune, where you either ignore it or, um, in some cases, I don't necessarily see it as offensive. In some places, I see it as, okay, great, it's a compliment, he's being kind. And there are scenarios where men are gentlemen about it. Um, however, there are scenarios when they are not, and often it, just ignoring it and powering through it, and really recognizing, okay, you know, that's not what the status bar is supposed to be. However, your reactions again, you have to rise above it. Gotcha. At the same time, um, that is absolutely not how the next generation of men should be raised. It's not an excuse that should be perpetuated. And while again, in some specific subcultures or areas hey, it's totally cool to call out. And of course, there are in many Latin countries, they're more forward about advances, and that's accepted on both sides of the gender spectrum.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, but try not to let things take a toll on you personally, because, again, those are extraneous people trying their opinions. You can't let it affect your psyche. You can't let it affect your day. Just be safe, move forward and know that you're one more person in the world who wouldn't treat another person like that. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I guess I, w- I, w- I would agree with you that it definitely is. That's a more of a male issue. And and for me, I, I hate I hate the victim mentality because sometimes when you know when rape and stuff happens, people tend to say, "You well, why were you wearing that?" You know, or, you know those type <laughs> of things. And. And that's the type of mindset, but that's that's more of a male psyche, which is I'm still working on. It. I don't know if I've figured it out yet, but <laughs> no,
0: it's, it's great you're talking about it because you're right. In in many many cases, they uh, specific parties blame women. Okay, were you wearing something that was inappropriate? And that spectrum of attention has to change. It yes. doesn't matter if you're running through the street wearing a potato sack.
1: Yeah, um,
0: it, it's it's not about how you're being treated. It's about the person who's treating you, and it's their culture their views that need to change and also your reaction is the only thing you can control
1: no i agree i agree um i I want i'm so glad that you brought this up um you alluded to this earlier there's some there's some pronouns there's some things that people often say to women that you would cringe i was watching uh um what was it the The apprentice the other day with uh arnold schwarzenegger and i was like what did he just said uh, you know you, you're beautiful, and you you know you, you know you're a model, so you obviously get all the attention. And then I was like, oh, you just just basically said because she's beautiful and she's a model, that means that's why she gets the attention. And everybody everybody else in the, in the cabinet just they cringed. I was like, and then he kept digging. I was like, why? So I'm so curious. What are the things that men should not say to women in the workplace or anywhere like that? Just they might think it's a compliment, but it's just not a compliment. And both of your models and and you, you you do you kill it in other respects so uh, you know i want to start with you Alina. are there like things that people think are compliments that we should just stop saying to you
2: well i think that uh well let me start with with the positive side i think that some of the best compliments that i've really gotten are on my work because when i'm in the workplace and i am working on something that is really what i'm concentrating on and interested in hearing about and so when when I get people that say, "Hey, you know, that was a great idea," or "Hey, you know, let's grab coffee and go talk about this or that," you know, that's completely fine And if they want to be, you know, overly friendly and you know take the time to discuss a certain topic more than others, that that's okay too. But I, I've just I really found that those are the compliments that really um, affected me positively. And as far as things not to say, I've had people comment on my clothes, which I find perfectly okay, you know, as far as, uh, oh, that's a really nice outfit, that's a really nice suit. When it starts getting to more of like, oh, facial features, you have such beautiful eyes, you have such beautiful hair, that, that tends to get a little bit too much. Um, But overall, I think that I find that, again, in setting expectations for yourself when you're having that conversation with someone and they say something, the way you react very much guides what happens next, especially in the workplace, you know, Um, where you're not having anything crazy like, you know, physical assault going on. It's just a verbal communication and your body language and the way your tone and the way you address people, it really says it all and it really guides them. To where you want to go and what you feel is appropriate.
1: Interesting, and I know you're going to have interesting answers to this because in Hollywood, I just hear—I've never—I've been to to the Hollywood area, but I hear a lot of horror stories where, what it affects casting decisions or the like. People just say the worst things in in any any format to women, and they expect the women to just accept it. Oh, thank you, thank you, master. What are the things things we shouldn't say?
0: Oh, Lord, I hope the thank you master has never happened. Oh, yeah, I mean... No, I'm sure, I'm sure there might have been some scenarios. You you definitely, um, definitely highlight that. There are...
2: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film,
0: If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? So there are definitely scenarios where, again, you do feel like, okay, I'm being cast as this. But the first thing that you have to realize in Hollywood is that while it is talent, while it is art, it is also, of course, driven massively by aesthetics. So you have to know that as an actor or a model, it's the first thing any agent cast director will tell you. Okay, we need you to change your hair or we need you to dress this way. We need you to speak this way. Okay, um, clean up your skin. Your nails need to look like this. That shouldn't be a problem as long as it's presented in a professional context if you are asking to be a canvas. So if you're looking at it as, okay, I'm a performer, I'm coming in, they're looking at me for a role. They want me to be legally blonde. Well, of course I shouldn't be upset if they ask me to change my hair from black to blonde or to wear a lot of pink in my audition. Um, not saying that that has happened, but you need to know, okay, what is my function in this relationship? Am I supposed to be the canvas? Am I expected to change things? Going into it with open eyes is a huge part of it. And a lot of people underestimate how much they're going to be told what they need to look like, what they need to weigh, what their measurements need to be, how they need to act, what they need to train in as a performer. But that's the definition of a performer. You are living somebody else's life for that time in an audition, that time in a production, you are hired to be somebody else. So you need to realize that not always you're going to be able to be your authentic self. Most of the time you're hired to play somebody else's role. Mm. Um, And while you're lucky to be able to put your spin on that, again, it's a knowledge that you need to come in armed with.
2: Um, and you know, and I really, I really relate to what you said, uh, as, as a fitness model specifically, you know, I think there's so much stigma with, Oh, you know, you can't tell people that they're too fat or too skinny. And for fitness modeling, you know, they would say, okay. you know, you have to look like this and you have to weigh this and you have to have muscles that show here. And when we would show up, uh, that was to be expected. And it really does go with, you know, you have to have an understanding of the expectations of what you're there to do. Mm. Absolutely. And it's like showing up to a job description, quite literally being unprepared.
0: And they tell you to show up in a pantsuit and you show up in a long dress. (laughs) Um, So it's really respecting both parties in that sense. If you are not ready to take that role on, please rethink being there and really go through those questions. At the same time, there are definitely things said that will hurt people if they aren't expecting it. Um, It hurts to be told, okay, you don't look like this role. Your hair isn't good enough. You don't weigh what you need. You're too short. You're too tall. Um, but you have to go in knowing this is the first thing I tell all my talent is that it doesn't matter how many people tell, you no. and I'll tell you right now, every single supermodel in the world, every single successful actor has heard no more times than you can possibly count. And that's the same in Hollywood as it is in life. It's not the no's that are going to make or break you. It's how you are going to react to it. And if you choose, do I want to keep trying? I know performers who do not fit the standard stereotypical Beauty ratio, whatever they want to call it in Hollywood, who didn't get projects for years before they got hired on a role or two. It's that kind of perseverance that determines, again, what do you want out of this for your career and make your career work for you. Um, you cannot sit there and feel victim to what people are telling you to look like or weigh because you are the one who's choosing to put yourself there. You can leave if you're uncomfortable with it, or you can choose to turn down rules that you aren't comfortable with. People tend to forget that your agent and your manager work for the talent. They will tell you what you need to do if you want to achieve this specific role or this kind of casting type. But we are not going to make you do it. Um, You're absolutely the one in control of your own destiny in that sense. Um, And in in regards to back to the original question, if you ever get complimented and you feel kind of awkward about it or things that concern us, Um, I honestly, again, I think compliments can be the highest form of flattering In many ways they're poised respectfully and there are things that should be taken with a thank you, honestly, um, within bounds. that said, when somebody does again, start to comment, um, on your facial features or start to get really personal. Another thing I tend to steer away from is relationship questions, um, or try to advise my talent in that you don't need to merge your personal and your professional life. In fact, it benefits to separate them entirely. And when you, like Lena said, when you show up for work, be there for work, um, know your purpose, have a drive and don't waste time in between. So know how to divide that and separate that line. Know where you're at, educate yourself, know the expectations. And at the end of the day, if you aren't going home happy and you aren't happy where you are and what you've worked towards, and if you can no longer afford being treated this way, you don't like it, then you can remove yourself from that equation.
1: Remove yourself in that situation. Um, Before I I go on to to more topics, I want to read something from our sponsor, um, if you don't mind. Both of you ladies like to travel a lot, right? Yes, yes. (laughs) So uh, then you love love our our sponsor. Our sponsors are way travel, and they they offer medium-large suitcases, as well as carry-ons, which, believe it or not, allow you to, to charge your cell phones, as well as tablets, or anything that's powered by a USB cord. Away uses high quality materials while offering a much lower price compared to other brands by cutting out the middleman and selling directly to you. You can choose from nine colors and four sizes the carry-on, the bigger carry-on, the medium, or the large for extended stays. Some of the key design features, once again, are the suitcases are made with premium German polycarbonates. They are unrivaled in strength and they impact resistance. Basically, they're very lightweight and strong. The interior features a patent-pending compression system, which is helpful for overpackers like me. And they have a four 360-degree spinner wheels guaranteed to make a smoother ride. And it's very, very personal to me because I actually used them as I was traveling to Boston on, um, on a keynote there. And it basically carried everything that I needed. And I constantly on my phone use it all the time and my battery dies out because apple phones always die and they never ever <laughs> live up to whatever the demonstration that they always say on the- anyways that's that's my beef but um they're they're offering um still by nomad sponsors a 20 dollars off the, their first uh offer and it's com forward slash nomads com forward slash nomads if you want to make sure you have a a carry-on bag that's more innovative than the ones that you've been using for, head over to www.awaytravel.com forward slash nomads. Travel smarter with a suitcase that charges your phone. Two two the the I want to get back to this 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 idea of beauty beauty. And I know we were saying that we were pre-note and pre-podcast you were talking about how we can make beauty as an addendum. We should decorate the world but we uh, we must change it. What did you mean by that? I don't know if it was Anne or Lena that wrote that. But you wanted you were both saying that we need to change. I guess the way we see beauty.
0: Definitely. Um, I guilty as charged that that would have been me. I'm afraid. Um, <laughs> so what what I mean when I say we need beauty to be an addendum is that for women for generations uh, for centuries a lot of us of course we're used to being associated with value being extremely beautiful. Um, of course, one of the first people ask you, oh, is she beautiful if you ask if you're dating somebody? Or the new girl is hired, what does she look like? And those aren't questions that we necessarily perpetuate, but they're absolutely questions that are heard. So I feel that a lot of women growing up, especially young women, were taught to want to be pretty, right? You want the boys to date you. You want them to take you to prom. Um, you want to have the prettiest dress. Oh, do you look cute in this? And social media has really become... Um, kind of a facilitation point for this, where I've seen younger and younger girls looking at Instagram and trying to really recreate those photos from the supermodels. see models whose values um, that they command are directly related to the number of followers they have and the kind of content they post. But what's ironic is if you look at a lot of the pages, all you literally see are selfies or uh, basically photos of themselves. And that is fine if that is what they're looking for. I'm not saying it's bad or negative in any way. But for me personally, and this is something I try to really pass on to the talent that I work with, is that yes, well, of course, looks are important and how you present yourself to the world is important. You don't need to be a carbon copy clone of anyone else. You don't need to lose your own sense of originality simply for the fact that somebody has more likes in their picture because they dyed their hair or did something with a filter. You cannot value yourself, your intrinsic value, on how you look because we are all going to age. We are all going to one day not look the way we want to look. Some of us, the worst thing is to never look the way you want to look because you're never happy as you are. Um, Beauty is not the linchpin of success. It is not the linchpin of being at the top of your game. To me, the most beautiful people are the people who have done something with their lives, who have have overcome incredible hardship, who have gone through terrible loss, who have perhaps made ginormous mistakes, but have persevered anyway. And the most beautiful values that exist, at least in my opinion, are the ones you can't see on someone's face. Hmm. Um, They're how they treat other people. They're the things they do. They're the kindness that they perpetuate. And we need to raise a generation, not only women, but men as well, where... Beauty is literally an addendum to their lifestyle, where the first thing they think about in the morning when they jump out of bed isn't the mascara that they're going to put on and the foundation that they're going to wear for the next eight hours, and the boy is going to comment them on it, or the shade of lipstick that they want to buy from whatever cosmetic store that they have seen latest. It should be, okay, what am I trying to accomplish today? What am I doing that will help people? Is there somebody I can reach out to who needs me? To start, th- to remove that equation as, of beauty and aesthetics from the forefront of our brains, really. Uh, there's so much more to the world than looking pretty every day. By all means, please look your best, do as you want, um, express yourself creatively. But I, it's such a loss if you have somebody who's so incredibly beautiful or who's so focused on that 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 is all they think of because beauty is literally only skin deep.
1: What do you think? Uh, that's, that's that's so deep. Uh, thank you so much, Anna for sharing that. And I, I, I hope a lot of young um, women agree and, and listen and say, yes! But <laughs> you, you, Lena, as you, as you listen to that, what do, what do you think about that? I know you're very goal-driven.
2: I am very goal-driven, and I think it, it really comes a lot, like N said, from the way that we're raised and what we see around us. So from what I saw around me, a lot of the women in my life, um, when I was very young and growing up with my grandmother and my mother, um, they always showed me beauty and strength. And that's what I grew up seeing, beauty and strength, being able to be strong, being able to be self-sufficient. That's what was beautiful to me. And I... Um, you know, makeup and clothing. Uh, that that really was more of like the frame for the picture. But to me, it was all about as as Em said. You know, what's not skin deep? What you're able to craft and mold and earn? Because you know, we're born looking a certain way, and that's that's just how we look. You know, most of the time. Um, but. I think what's really beautiful is when you can look at someone and see something in them that you know that they earned, that you know that they crafted themselves. Whether that's the way they carry themselves or what they what they believe and how they present that, and then I think um, really, I mean, they become more beautiful on the outside when they're you know radiating beauty from the inside as well.
1: Wow, wow, wow! Um, I feel like uh, both, you both you took both you took your charge. Okay, fine. Uh, let's talk about then on that vein, public figures, celebrities, role models. Who are your favorite um, female role models? And is female even a correct? I feel like is that I heard reading somewhere. Can you say female? I heard that that was bad now. Is that bad? No. We, you can no. Do. Okay. No, someone was telling me that the other I, – like, I just want to be respectful. It's a little overboard. I think we're still – it's not necessary to be that
2: overly sensitive. Okay. okay. I agree with
1: okay, you. Know. Okay. I'm glad. Just, I really don't want to step on anyone's <laughs> toes. So who are the um, – who are both of your uh, favorite female role models? Everybody knows that my mom is Oprah Winfrey, so, so I mean <laughs> – <so.
0: laughs> Oh, <it's> royalty here. <laughs>
1: Uh, Let's start start with you, Lena.
2: Well, when you said that, I just immediately remembered uh, in the third grade when we had to dress up for career day. And everyone showed up as astronauts and princesses and doctors and firefighters. And I showed up wearing a navy blue uh, hat with a matching corduroids and a string of pearls. And I told my teacher that I was Margaret Thatcher and that I wanted to be an Iron Lady <laughs> and that I wanted to be the leader of the free world. And my parents have that on video. That is not uh, That is not a made-up story. <laughs> so I think that really female role models, it's, it's a very broad statement. It just comes, again, as I said, um, I think any, any woman could be my role model on a given day if I feel that inner strength radiating from her because that immediately draws me to that person and immediately makes me want to learn more about them and um, you know who they are and what they do.
1: Okay, okay. Ms. Kelly?
0: Okay. Um, the list goes on. There's there's so many. Um, I for one I just really wanna shout out to Lena quickly. I'm gonna to have to see this tape of you as Margaret. Yeah, me too.
2: <laughs> I.
0: I suddenly feel like an underachiever here because all I ever wanted to be was Iron Man. <laughs> that's <laughs> not nice. nice. I just really wanted to that's, that's a pretty good standard, I think. Exactly. I'm okay. like, can I please be Elon Musk number two? Um, in terms of female role models, again, I know this is a broad topic to, to kind of pinpoint, and there are many... But, well, number one, I'll have to say my mother, um, and that is simply for the fact that she was one incredibly pivotal person who came from like many would call a third-world country the Philippines to, to pursue a new life and to really dare to teach her children that you can accomplish anything. And the, one of the most important things she taught me is that don't ever be um, subject to feeling that your gender will make you different in the sense that somehow you can't go after the same thing the boys can when I say I believe in equality, I mean it across all spectrums, and that we're not better, we're not worse, we're absolutely on the same footing. And the start of that really comes with your mentality. Um, as, of, as for women currently within our generation that I absolutely adore and look up to um, Amal Clooney. Oh my God. Oh my <laughs> She's yeah. really hot. I to second that out. motion. Oh, Amal is amazing. Um, and oh I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm always perplexed and I've, I've ranted to my friends and colleagues and fellow casting directors about this and that George really, really won out. Um, he's the trophy husband. It's, oh, it's incredible because,
1: Oh, sorry, what was that, Taya? No, I was like, he says it himself. He knows.
0: (laughs) Yes, and Amal, so she's the... So I'll shout out to two specific incredible women here. Queen Rania of Jordan is one. (sighs) Amal is another. Holy cow. Um, These are two incredibly beautiful, talented, kind, most of all, uh, empowered women who are changing the world. Um, And Amal, ironically, doesn't get nearly as much spotlight as she deserves, in my opinion. She is... An award-winning human rights activist lawyer who literally has represented, I believe, Julian Assange, um, the king of Vehran. She is currently working to help protect the Yazidi people um, from attacks against ISIS and actually looking to prosecute war crimes um, that ISIS has committed. And ironically, if they have never been taken to court on this, her initial speech at the UN was incredible. And these are young, educated women who a lot of people like, okay, perhaps you're from the Middle East, or we don't necessarily know what you do. Enough people haven't heard of these women. They really haven't. And I have to attribute it to you, Teo, that I heard about more about Queen Rania. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember that video. you. You're the catalyst. I had just visited um, Israel and Jordan, and I'd seen um, some of the landscape there and the people there and the cultures, incredibly beautiful people, um, deep sense of empathy and humanity. And I remember seeing Queen Rania pop up on your page, and I looked more into it. These are people who don't have nearly as much as we have in the United States to some sense, and they're still taking in refugees, still doing everything that they possibly can, to perpetuate a sense of kindness. And they're not looking at global crises as somebody else's problem. I think we all view ourselves in a lot of ways as global citizens and global nomads, and right. that we absolutely care because we can no longer afford to think that we're just isolated in the world. And if something happens on one corner, doesn't mean it won't come to yours. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the, the accomplishment that both Amal and Rania have presented, they never let anyone else take their careers from them. They maintain the forefront of what they want to do. And honestly, those are the kind of women that I personally look up to and see as inspiring. And I really want to start changing that to where more women look at those kind of role models. And as Alina as had earlier said, she grew up seeing that beauty is strength. I would do so much to see that become a standard here, um, especially in Hollywood, where you, it's more than just your measurements. Um It's absolutely what you do and it's what you've accomplished and what will not fade so long as you're here, literally on this terrestrial life. Um, And women like Amal and Rania are, I literally, like when I'm having a really bad day, I'm like, okay, I'm sure they had them too. I'm going to watch the videos or follow their lead and see what they've done because those are women and people, period, that we can be proud to say are part of the global initiative in changing the world.
1: I, yeah, so I love the examples two of you brought. You know, from Margaret Thatcher to to you know Queen Rania, Amal, and, and both of your moms. Uh, you know, I think that's that's an incredible. And for the record, both of you do remind me of the Queen Amals and, and I mean the Queen Rania and, and the Amal Clooney's because. That's what both of you are doing in your fields. You're 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 blazing the trail. And you're being so unapologetic about it, and and you're still having fun while you're doing it, because you know you, you 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 smile on your on your Instagrams and you let us know that you are conquering the world, and we're like we are not worthy. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I I have this uh, this this idea here. I don't know. We've both talked about this individually. People don't necessarily know where both of you are from, and you have this idea of, you said, ethnically ambiguous? Is that is that what it's called now? Yes, uh,
0: correct. It is, it, when you see it in casting now, too, you'll know ethnically ambiguous is essentially when they cannot pinpoint where you're from. They don't know what you are.
1: <laughs> What's the rise of that? There there's, seems to be this rise of like ethnically ambiguous or multi-ethnic <laughs> type deal. Yes, yeah. you are.
0: <laughs> <clears throat> so, no, you're absolutely right on that. There definitely is a rise, and I think, honestly, it's the generation that grew up um there are more mixed people now there are more races where you cannot tell exactly what we are and there are more people that you talk to when you they ask okay what's your ethnicity you have to list five things and that's incredible I think it's great um because while it not only champions mixed diversities it champions diversity period so the more that demand you can see I will literally be doing backflips over here as I see those projects come
2: in
1: <laughs> and, and and you I know Lena, I'm not sure if you are mixed, but you do often get confused with someone that's mixed. Is that correct?
2: Uh, well, yeah, I'm actually just a, a Soviet mutt, really. Uh, back, <laughs> back in the times of the Soviet Union, all those countries were all mixed together and intermingling. And so I'm sure that I have, uh, you know, roots um, from just about every one of those countries in that region. But um, I'm actually Armenian, three-fourths Armenian and one-fourth Ukrainian. Uh, from my grandma mm, mm. so yeah I, I think uh it's it's a little more clear than some people have to deal with
1: <laughs> what's the what's the um most interesting nationality that each of you have been um i guess uh, compared to or said that you are
0: hmm well um i can you we know, laugh at this one people thought when i was a baby that i was russian
1: <laughs> they thought you were russian
0: <laughs> Yes, I oh, did. My mother had adopted me. <laughs> a lot of people would ask. They would stop my mother because my my I have an older brother who is significantly darker skinned than I am. And when they would see us, uh, and I tended to be tall as a, as a kid, so sometimes people thought we were twins. And then other times they thought that I was adopted. And I remember a lot of questions being lobbed at my mom. When I was young, asking, "Oh God, is she Russian? Did you adopt her?" And my mom would get so, so, so fascinated. Like, what? No, she's mine. <laughs> she's
1: mine. <laughs> what about you, uh, Lena?
2: Um, I actually get told that I could pass as just about anything, which I take as a huge compliment. Anything, really? Um, anything. <laughs> I, I think definitely anything in Europe, uh, Eurasia, uh, Middle East, okay, parts yeah. of northern Africa. That,
1: that general region
2: of the world
1: I definitely thought Northern Africa when I first saw you I, th- I thought Egyptian or um, Algerian At that I get point,
2: Lebanese a lot too
1: Lebanese yes that makes sense yeah that's I think that's what I was thinking huh interesting alright well I mean we're, we're gonna wrap up soon but a lady that I do admire a lot and this comes from my love of Harry Potter and also um, just her, how she's grown as a person is Emma Watson um, now Emma Watson is a champion for gender equality. I, she, she, when she had that that campaign, a campaign that she does, which is, she still does in, in partnership with uh, the United Nations, it was initially met with a lot of "Wow, what is Wow? You've grown. You're such a great person." Immediately followed by a backlash from a lot of people who said feminism is man-hating and it's exclusionary and and it's ridiculous. And then gender inequality is a myth. Why do you think people? are so resistant to the word feminist?
2: Well, I think the reason that people are so resistant to the, to the word feminist is because it, it sounds exclusionary in, in the way that it's said, right? You have the word fem in there, which immediately highlights one gender over the other. And people are just generally like to stay away from labels and, you know, categories. And so, and so I can really understand that. But, um, If I really had to say anything to the 21st century woman and, you know, women that are aiming at higher things, it's definitely don't be scared to be alone in what you do. Because I know that when I was first starting out and I was first uh, figuring out what it is that I wanted to do, I I felt very alone because I, I couldn't really find people that were on the same page. But that never really discouraged me, and I can't really exactly pinpoint why. Maybe I'll have to work on that a little bit, but definitely find what is you, define what is you, and build on that, and build what is you. Um, definitely looking at other people and not seeing yourself in them is should not be a deterrent, and I think that eventually, really, honestly, you will find your people, you will find your crowd, and you will be thankful that you stuck it out to make it there.
1: All right. I mean, yeah, yeah. I guess you dove into that. Uh, yeah, that's. Thank you for that. Uh, and let, let's start with um, why you think um, people are so resistant toward feminist, feminism, rather, and then we'll go into what you tell the twenty-first century woman.
0: Definitely. Um... Second I think that the the word itself can be a little bit intimidating, specifically for people who, one, have a preconceived notion about what feminism is, and if they automatically view it as something exclusionary, or in some people's opinions, I know they see it as rather radical, I think that they're looking at typecasts or stereotypes that are not true. So one, educating themselves is a huge thing. Is finding out, okay, what does that even mean? Um... And the the adage that basically reiterates you have to either stand for what you believe in or you're going to quite literally fall for nothing is absolutely accurate. Um, in terms of what I would tell the 20th century woman is that fem- feminism is something to be proud of. It is not something that mandates that women are better than men. It's not something that mandates that one gender is preferable to another. Um, And you have to learn those differences, and you have to learn those nuances. And the most important thing while pursuing that and trying to educate yourself, you really have to have an open source approach. And I think one of the main deterrents to that is that people do not like to hear opinions that are different from their own. Uh, There's a disequilibrium that's created when you start introducing ideas to people um, that they they perhaps don't like. It's why, why do... For example, in our most recent election, why do one party members why does one party member um, not listen to the side of the other? Why do fights erupt? Because people aren't willing to listen to each other, and if you aren't willing to listen, there is no way you can progress. There is no way you can gain more information. Um, and sometimes the cost of educating yourself is feeling a little bit uncomfortable while you're going through that process. But growth, in and of itself,
1: is uncomfortable. Wow. Wow, um, you, you ladies are, are so inspiring. It's it's insane how much energy I get from just talking to both of you. So, thank you, thank you both for educating us and what it, what it means to be a woman in 21st century. Thank you, thank you for talking about the strength that it requires, and thank you for just being able to risk being seen in today's world, where there are so many things that people tell you you're supposed to do when you really should be who you are, um, and internally and externally. So, I really, really want to thank you for that. But in case someone else is feeling this this energy that I was I've been feeling for the last hour, where can they find you? Um, and and then I'll go back to you, Lena.
0: Absolutely. So, in, ter- in terms of find me, and like contact me, is that is that correct? Yeah, your contact
1: you. And I just love what you said. I want to reach out to you and see what you up to. Yay! Okay, great.
0: <laughs> so, um, you can find me one through Facebook. I have a Facebook page that's titled N Prime. Um, the last name is P R I M E. My direct contact on Facebook is N Kelly, and I happen to have a website. It's Nkellyonline.com. Um, and I have gotten a lot of people contact me through that, and I also have a WordPress blog. So if you Google any semblance of those things, I should definitely pop up.:
1: And you, Lena. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well uh facebook is definitely a great medium it's i'm sure that you'll have the spelling of our names on the podcast when you publish it so i won't bother spelling out my entire last name but it's just lena i on and also you can check out my website PolicyPair. pair that's www.policypair.com. com. um yeah either of those mediums
1: well thank you thank you thank you once again and thank you for coming on the show. I hope um, listeners and nomads that you all have learned, uh, you know, a lot about what it's like to really just embrace your identity and that's a lot of what the topics are on the show. It's really about embracing the the beautiful world that we live in. We're going to continuously look much more differently than 20th century did. We're way more mixed. We have faster technologies and we're migrating at a faster pace. So your neighbors and your people are going to look very differently from you. So, I hope that you're building that internal self-awareness, but also that curiosity and openness to to understand who are the people that are different from you and what makes them tick. So I, I want to thank you uh, once again for coming on the show. But ladies and gentlemen, till next week, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the Ask Told by Nomad's podcast for more ways to reach out to tayo and to use your difference to make a difference head over to Have
2: ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row